So have you ever had to tread lightly? Ever, ever had to tread lightly in a situation? Maybe you were going to ask your parents if you can go on that trip with your friends to the International Banana Museum in Mecca, California, planning that trip. And, and when you go to your parents to talk to them about it, you know to tread lightly when it comes to the cost because you know it will not be appealing to them. All day. Or maybe you want some new furniture for your office at work. And so you're going to go and and talk to the boss, but you're going to tread lightly when you suggest that you get a recliner that has a a fold-out TV from one armrest and a, a mini fridge in the other armrest. You might tread lightly when you add that to the expense report. Or maybe you finally got the baby to sleep. And you tread lightly out of the room, hoping to get to the kitchen and get just one bowl of mint chocolate chip ice cream before you hear crying again. The baby's cries, not yours. When we tread lightly, what we're doing is proceeding with caution. We are watching where we are treading. We are watching where we are walking. We are watching where we are stepping. But there is a kind of treading that is not based on where, but more on how. A kind of treading that's not really centered on our feet, but more centered on our heart. We might say that treading lightly is not nearly as important as treading rightly. And so what does it mean to tread rightly? Well, let's see if we can find out. The Apostle Paul was an immensely well-educated, passionate, trailblazing Christian. And in the early church, he was doing amazing things for the kingdom of God. And, and one of the amazing things he did was to write letters to the churches. And he wrote a letter to the church at Ephesus. And this is what he said in Ephesians 2, beginning with verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You know, we can fight it, we can ignore it, we can deny it, we can try to beauty cream it or marathon it or pelotron it or healthy diet it away. But the reality is every person will physically die. And that is a reality. But what about spiritual death? According to the Bible, when you take all of the people in the world, past, present, and future, one out of every one is born spiritually dead. King David put it this way in Psalm 51.5. This is from the King James Version. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. David's birth was not the result of some sinfully dysfunctional family drama. He had a a normal birth, so to speak. But what David is doing is he's going back to the very beginning of his life, and he's thinking about the, the earliest moment of his existence. And in that earliest moment of his existence outside of the womb, he's confessing, you know what, my sin was never a surprise. My sin was was never a fluke. No one had to teach David how to throw a temper tantrum. 
Someone once put it this way, if sin were blue, we would be blue all over. Sin is not just something that occasionally happens to people. We are actually born in sin. And Paul uses language that anybody can understand when it means, when it comes to describing what it means to be in sin and born in sin. He says we're spiritually dead. Spiritually dead. We have trespassed against God's holiness. We have trespassed against God's ways. Now, someone might say, well, I mean, I, I don't feel like I've trespassed against God's holiness. All right, fair enough. You know, there's times that, that we might be trespassing on someone's property, and we don't know we're trespassing because there's, there's not a, a sign up, or maybe we didn't see the sign. But whether there is a sign or whether we see the sign, it doesn't change the logistical reality that we are trespassing if it's not our property. Likewise, we may not feel it, but there is no way to change the spiritual reality that we have trespassed against God. That is what sin is. There's a story told about a preacher who was preaching in a kind of tent-style outside meeting, and a teenage boy piped up in the middle of his sermon and said this, you tell us about the burden of sin, but I don't feel any burden. And then went somewhat sarcastically, he went on and he said, so how much does sin weigh? How much the, the burden of sin weigh? Is it 10 pounds? Is it 80 pounds? And this is what the preacher said to the young boy. Tell me, if I put a 400-pound weight on the chest of a dead man, would he feel it? The boy said, no, he's He's dead. The preacher responded, and the man who feels no load of sin is dead spiritually. What David and and Paul and, and the whole of Scripture is trying to communicate to us is that even at birth, both our known and our unknown sins are a problem. We are born alive physically, But as soon as we are born into this sinful world and because of our own personal sin, we are born in need of being alive spiritually. From the earliest moment of life, we miss the mark. That's that's the definition of sin, missing the mark. From the earliest moment of life, we miss the universal standard of perfection that exists. And that universal standard of perfection exists because of the character and nature of God. And from the character and nature of God, we have the existence of the universe. And so the, the math all works together, even though the math doesn't sound like it works in our favor. We miss the mark. Sin causes us to miss the mark. But Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, was crucified on a cross outside of Jerusalem to satisfy the payment for the cosmic penalty of sin. Jesus was crucified, and and not just for casually the sin of the world, but for my sin specifically and your sin specifically. And Jesus, by the power and authority of God, was raised from the dead three days later. And in being raised from the dead, he universally and undeniably proved that all of his promises and the payment for sin was authentic and genuine. 
And then at a later time, Jesus visibly ascended into heaven to unmistakably and and undeniably prove and affirm and guarantee that he was going to prepare a place for believers and that one day he will return and he will make all things right forever. They're not right today and they won't be right until Jesus returns. Salvation in and through Jesus Christ is the wonderfully beautiful, awesome gift of God. But a dead person can't open a free gift. A spiritually dead person can't do anything. So at birth, we need God. At the very moment that we enter this world, we need God because a a diagnosis is made and the diagnosis is that we are spiritually dead. Not sick, not ill, not wounded, not in a coma, but we are spiritually dead. And with that diagnosis, because we're spiritually helpless, we need to be brought from death to life. We are in need. So, where are you spiritually? When you consider your heart and your mind, are you still dead in your sins or have you been made alive in Christ? Are you like David and you've been able to acknowledge that your sin is not a fluke, it's not an accident, it's not a surprise, that you're not shocked over your sin? Are you able to affirm that that when you look and think back to your earliest moment, you see sin and you see your need to be rescued? If not, then we plead with you to come to Christ. You've just heard and seen the no trespassing sign in a, in a brief version, so, so you don't have an excuse. And so come to Jesus and live and don't delay. Don't look for and wait for a time that is more convenient. One day Jesus was teaching a crowd of people and, and some people in the crowd started telling him about some recent tragedies. One of those tragedies was that there were some people at church and Pilate's guards went and killed the people who were at church. Jesus mercifully responds to that report with a question, and this was his question, Luke 13, verse 2. Do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this fate? In other words, Jesus is asking them, do do you think that any of those people were thinking as they walked into church that day that 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 was going to be their last day at church? And do you think the people that didn't make it to church that day because they were sick or out of town, or that they're better because they were spared? Jesus, as he often does, is is drawing a line in the sand. He's asking him, do you really believe that the people who didn't attend church and didn't get killed are better Christians than the ones that showed up? And he responds to his own question. Luke 13, 3. I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Jesus wasn't being mean. He wasn't being dismissive about the people who had died. He's being merciful to the people who are listening. 
Jesus is always showing mercy. He's, he's trying to always get us to see that when it comes to evil events or when it comes to tragedies that we see or hear about, the first thing we should do is draw a line to our own heart. And to our own heart, we should say, am I alive in Christ? If so, then it is well, it is well, it is well with my soul, regardless of what my social media feed says, regardless of what the news says, regardless of what I hear or see. If I am alive in Christ, it is well with my soul. It may not be well with my mind. It may not be well with my body. It may not be well with my attitude. But because of who Jesus is and because of my salvation, it is well with my soul. But if you're not alive in Christ, if you draw that line and your heart tells you the truth that that you're not alive in Jesus, then your response changes and you say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner, and save me. They also gave him a report that day about a tower that fell near a pool and 18 people were killed. Jesus mercifully responds again with a question. Luke 13, 4. Or do you suppose that those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them were worse culprits than all the men who live in Jerusalem? Jesus is saying, do you really think that those people that day were we're thinking that was the last time they were going to that pool? It was the last time they were going to be there? Do you think they were thinking that day that that was going to be their, their last day? Or do you think the people that were standing 10 feet to the left of those people and, and the tower didn't fall on them, do, do you really think that those people were better Christians because they didn't get killed? Again, Jesus responds to his own question, Luke 13, 5, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Again, Jesus is drawing a line in the sand. He's trying to, to get the people to, to quit listening to the social media commentary and to, and to quit listening to constant panic about anything that ever happens in life. And he's trying to consider, get them to consider the brevity of life, regardless of our age the brevity of life. And so he says, in any moment like this, draw a line between you and God. And he repeats the need for repentance. In times of evil events, in times of tragedy, draw that line to your heart. Are you right with God? Are you ready to meet God? Have you truly repented? And what does that even mean? What does it mean to truly repent? Well, someone has said that true repentance is a double turn. You turn away from sin and you turn to God. Lig Duncan defines it like this. Repentance means grieving over our sin, not grieving over getting caught, not grieving over getting embarrassed, not grieving over the consequences, but grieving over our sin. That's a very important definition. I, I want you to hear it again. Repentance means grieving over our sin, not grieving over getting caught. Can I just confess, most of us this week, if we had a moment that we felt sorry, it might have been because we got caught. Not grieving over getting embarrassed, likewise. That's probably happened to some of us this week. Not grieving over the consequences, likewise, probably happened this week. But grieving over our sin. 
grieving over the fact that this God who by his character and nature and his love created the world, spoke it into existence, that this God also created a way for us to be rescued and redeemed. Do you grieve that you've trespassed him? Not your spouse, not your kids, not your boss, but do you grieve that you've trespassed against the God of the universe who with mercy and grace continues to make himself known and continues to show mercy and grace by allowing all of us to breathe today. If you've truly repented and you are truly following Jesus, then you will tread differently. Listen to what Paul says next. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked. This is odd language considering that we're talking about someone who's spiritually dead If a spiritually dead person can't open a free gift, then then how can they walk? If a spiritually dead person can't do anything, then then how can they walk? Well, if we use the the prison vernacular, we would say this means a a dead man walking. This is might, in a a more modern way, is is a spiritual zombie. That's the, the picture we have here. Our sins and our trespasses make us spiritual zombies. We're alive We're just not alive to God. We're alive to sin. Sin becomes what gives us life. So how does a spiritually dead person walk? Listen to what Paul says next. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. What is the course of this world? Well, at all points in time in history, there has been a system in the world. And this system, really, since the garden and the sin of the first man and the first woman until now, this system is is against God, is working against God. We might even say is anti-God and anti-Christ. Our world is not for God's ways. The system of the world doesn't want God's truth, doesn't want God's laws, They do not want God's restrictions. They just want to reject God. And they definitely want to reject David's divinely aspired assertion that we are sinful from birth. And they definitely want to reject Paul's divinely inspired assertion that we are spiritually dead. The world is not for God. But we're born into this world. And as much as we want to deny it, we, we can't avoid that we are born into the system of the world. When I was born, I had to be at University Hospital in Augusta, Georgia, because that's where my mom was. I couldn't be born somewhere else. I had to be there. No way around that. When we are born into this world, we are born into this system of the world. There is no other way for us to be born, no other place for us to be. And unless God saves us, we will stay in this course of the world. We will stay in this system that lives against God and lives against Christ. So what does that look like? What does the course of this world look like? I love this description I found this week from Jeff Thomas. It goes like this. It means you're just like the rest. You're a child of your time. You're exactly like the world. Where the world walks, you walk. 
You are in bondage to peer group pressures. What they do, you do. Their heroes are your heroes. Your sense of humor and your values and your enthusiasms and your evenings and your weekends are just the same. You follow the ways of this world. Your dreams, the same dreams. You worry, the same worries. You are distracted by the same cares. You refuse to consider the same great realities of death, judgment, eternity, and God. You are just like the world. Now, somebody might say, great. Another holy roly preacher telling me I got to start wearing denim dresses all the time, you know, or, or wearing a suit and tie all the time, or the only thing I can watch is TBN and the Holland Avenue Facebook Live, okay? A little plug there. Feel free to use it anytime. No, I'm, I'm not trying to be a, a holy roller on you. I'm just saying this. If we are going to profess to follow Christ, then we need to be wise. We need to walk wise. We need to live wise. We need to think wise. You know, the difference between worldliness and godliness is how much ness you got in you. Ness, by definition, means this, state, condition, quality, degree. State, condition, quality, or degree. That's, that's the ness part there. And every single one of us, all of us, we have to function in this world. We have to live in this world. We have to eat in this world. We have to dress in this world. We have to go to work and school in this world. There is some degree of worldliness that all of us are going to have because we live in this world. But... If we are followers of Jesus Christ, our godliness should outweigh our worldliness. We should be more godly than worldly. That should be a part of our character. That means how we watch and see and, and listen to things on TV and the radio and, and on social media. When, when we see these things, we are supposed to be different in state, condition, quality, and degree. Why? Why are we supposed to be different? Because of one beautifully stunning, amazing word in this sentence from Paul. And that word is formerly. Formerly. Paul says, you once were spiritually dead in your trespasses. You once were spiritually dead in your sins. You once were a dead man walking. You once were a spiritual zombie. Now, you have been made alive in Christ. By grace, you have been saved. That formerly is a big word. <laughs> that, that once is, is a big word. This is what Paul said to the folks in Galatia, Galatians 1. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age. Listen, your family and your friends and, and the government and education and medicine and the church and, and so many other things are great and have a wonderful purpose in our lives. But none of those things can ultimately rescue you from the evil in this world and the evil of this present age. Only Christ can ultimately rescue you from the presence of this evil age. Only Jesus 
is ultimately supreme in his sacrifice. Only Jesus is is ultimately supreme in his atonement. Only the payment of Jesus is ultimate and supreme for sin. The gospel is a rescue, and we need to be rescued. We need to be rescued from sin and hell and death. We, we need to be rescued from immorality. We need to be rescued from cancer and infection, from debt and divorce and, and all the other difficulties of life. We need to be rescued. We need to be rescued from this present evil age, this present evil age, this temporary world that will one day cease to exist as we know it. We need to be rescued from all of these things. And make no mistake, If we leave this world without Jesus, then we will enter an age where the horror and the terror will never end. That's not me being mean. That's that's the language that Jesus uses over and over again. It's the language of the whole of the Bible. But on the other side of that language is this promise, and it's called the gospel. The gospel is a rescue, and the rescuer is Jesus. And if you've been rescued by Jesus, then that word, it matters. You formally walked according to the course of this world. You formally walked in the presence of this evil age. But now, you've been made alive in Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And by that same grace that we've been saved, we should... Watch and see and listen to things on TV and the internet and the radio and our social media posts differently. We should, again, watch them in a state, a condition, a quality, a degree that looks like and matches more of who Jesus is and not more of what the world is. And why? Why should our degree, our quality, our condition, and our state be different? Here's why I can't make it any more simple than this. Because we once were lost, but now we're found. We once were blind, but now we see. We once were spiritually dead in our sins and our trespasses, but now we are alive in Christ. By grace, we have been saved. And dear Christian, that once, that formerly should change who we are. What people see us post, what people hear us say in the corner of the breakfast joint, our response at the hospital, our response at the funeral, our response at work and school, it should be fueled by the reality that once we were dead, but now we've been made alive in Christ Jesus. Let me just say this, we won't always do that perfectly, and that's okay. But the question is, can we draw the line that Jesus draws and say, yeah, I'm struggling, but I'm there. I'm there. The death of Jesus on the cross was the crushing blow. The enemy did not 
get up and, and stagger around. He didn't recover from that punch. No, he was knocked out eternally. And that's why Paul wrote this to the church at Corinth. 1 Corinthians 15. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Victory. Victory, that's, that defines who we are in Christ. You know, there's an old hymn that, that says, I heard an old, old story how a Savior came from glory. And you know, that, that hymn is, is faithfully true with one different distinction. It's not just an old, old story. It's a story of, of today. It's a, a brand new story that today, over and over again, Jesus comes to help rescue me from my sin. See, I have a a Savior that reminds me over and over again that my greatest enemy has been disarmed. That my greatest enemy no longer has a, a bite. It only has a sting, if that. That my greatest enemy, that Jesus himself publicly defeated my greatest enemy. And that Jesus reminds me that I now have victory over sin and victory over death. And that's why Paul said this to the Romans, Romans 8, 37. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. And listen to this breakdown. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth. Okay, you you fill in the blank this week. What was it that threw you off track this week? Argument with your spouse? Argument with your kids? Something that happened at work? Something that happened at school? Something that happened to the doctor? Something that you read on social media? What what threw you off this week? What what caused you to have this moment where you went, God's not sovereign. God doesn't love me. God doesn't care. God's not merciful. Jesus, he didn't do anything for me. Because we've all had that moment this week. Let me just confess, we've all had that moment this week. By our response to whatever was happened, we've had that moment of temporary atheism. Even just for a second where we went, oh, God can't really be in charge. But he is and he can be. And that's the the beauty of what we see here. Look what he says in, in verse 39, continuing. Nor any other created thing will ever be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why should that matter to you? Here's why. Because starting as soon as you leave, maybe before you get to the parking lot, something will be difficult in your life this week. And when the difficulties come, the reality of these truths, these things that Paul's saying to multiple churches in multiple letters, the reason we should listen to it is because when things get the most difficult, we need to remember that Jesus has won. See, the reality is starting today, maybe even before you leave, you're going to find yourself in a moment where it feels like the powers of death inside and outside of the church, inside and outside of your home, and inside of out of your, this community, you're going to feel the power of death, and you're going to feel like it's taking over, but then we're reminded that Jesus has won. 
And this week when it looks like and feels like that, that evil has the upper hand, through immorality or through disease or through greed or through violence, whatever it may be, when it, when it feels like evil has the upper hand, we need to be reminded that Jesus has won. And in that moment that we remember that, there's, there's that word, formally, once. And we realize in that moment that once we were treading with the course of the world. We were, we were treading with this present evil age, but now in Christ, we are no longer keeping in step with the ways of the world. We're no longer keeping in step with the course of the world. Now we're keeping in step with Jesus. Not perfectly, but, but we're keeping in step. And when we're keeping in step with Jesus, don't miss this, when we're keeping in step with Jesus, we cannot be separated from the love of God. Because Jesus Christ has redeemed and rescued and saved us, that's the only reason we can tread rightly. And when we are treading rightly because of Jesus, nothing and no one can separate us from the love of God. Why? Because once, once, you were dead in your sins and your trespasses. But now, now in Christ, you have been made alive. By grace, you have been saved. And nothing, nothing, nothing can separate you from the love of God.